Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God is so good. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord here today. Is anybody thankful to be in church tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. I want to just say it's good to have Rita in the house of God with us. We've already greeted you, but it's good to have you. And all of our guests and visitors, we're so thankful that you came to worship with us here tonight. We want to encourage you. Amen. The Bible says of Jesus, it was his custom to go to the house of God. It was his custom to go to church. We want to encourage you. We got service on Wednesdays and on Sundays. Don't be a stranger on Sunday. We'd love to have you. And God has got so much more. Do you believe that? God has got so much more. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to have the Perez family back with us in the house of God. I'm glad you all finally made it out of cursed California. But I'm glad God provided and got you home. Amen. Tonight we're in uh, for a special treat. It's always a treat to have Elder Johnson teach to us. I uh, fully believe, and, and uh, one of my main goals uh, when, we, when we came to take the church, I fully believe that there is a fivefold ministry, uh, and we don't have to come to a conference for the fivefold ministry to come together. We also don't have to fly them in for the fivefold ministry to come together, but I believe that sitting on our very pews, there are people that are gifted. Uh, in different areas of ministry, there are people that uh, will come into church in the future that God's going to call them to different forms of ministry. There's people that uh, are in church now that God's going to use. And uh, I, I want God to speak to me through every avenue that he can. Amen. Whether it's preaching, teaching, prophecy, uh, evangelism, whatever the case may be, I want God to speak to us. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord as the man of God comes. Praise God, everyone. You love the Lord? Amen. He is more than enough, the song says. And, uh, when we come up short, he makes up the difference. Amen. You turn with me in your Bibles while you remain standing. To 2 Timothy 3.16. Scripture says this, all scripture, everyone say all scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And righteousness is just right living, just living right, doing right, making right decisions. Amen. You can be seated. Tonight, um, I felt like if I were going to title this, I would title it Bible 101. You know, we, uh, if you've ever taken a college class, I don't know why they don't start at 1. They always start at 101, right? <coughs> uh, I guess because we had 1 in kindergarten, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so I'm, I'm liking the title of, of this lesson tonight, Bible 101. And uh, you, you may know a lot about the Bible. You may have grown up in church and heard a lot of preaching and teaching like I have and uh, heard some great ministers of God over the years, delivered some great sermons that have impacted your life. Uh, but as you sit here tonight, you don't know everything about God and everything about his word. And uh, I, d I certainly don't consider myself a Bible scholar by any means. Uh, if anything, I'm a student of the Word, and I feel like I'm always learning, and uh, 
I'm always getting something new and fresh. Um, even though, you know, we read through the Bible every year. We use the bread program to, to help us get through the entire Bible. I find when I read through it again the next year, I find new places in my Bible to highlight and underline and make notes. And, um, and while I'm on that, you know, the bread program, you know, Brother Diaz, he, he, he finally got it right. Bread, Bible reading enriches any day, not every day, because then that would be breed, and that isn't what we're about. We're about uh, reading the Word of God every day, any day, and uh, the Bible does enrich our lives. I've been thankful, uh, you know, we've been here just, just over a year now, uh, came here about the same time our good pastor has. And uh, what I have really appreciated uh, about his ministry is this first year while he was here, he really started digging down for a foundation. And you never build up anything without digging down first. And if you're going to build a house, you have to dig a footing. Uh, you may pour a slab or you may do some stem walls and to build upon. But you have to first have a good foundation. And then uh, what follows is what you build upon that foundation. And uh, so it is as we go through the word of God and we begin to uh, learn about him, we begin to build on the foundation that he's given us that uh, we might become what he wants us to be. And each of us are unique individuals. We bring different skill sets to the family of God. And um, hopefully I can be a blessing to you tonight as we go through through this lesson. So in talking about foundation, building a spiritual life in Jesus Christ, a believer must have a good foundation. And uh, we find a reference to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Thank you, Brother Dixon. He's on it back there. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So there is no other foundation other than Jesus Christ in the, in the Christian sense. He alone is the rock. The Bible says he was the rock that the builders rejected, but it's become the chief cornerstone. And uh, whenever I think of that scripture, I think of the courthouse uh, in Napa. It was built in the 18, uh, late 1880s, early 1890s. It has a huge cornerstone, and on it is the date that it was laid, and the courthouse was built all around that stone, and everything was measured off of that stone. And so it is in our Christian walk, how do we measure up against Jesus Christ? Are we trying to be like him? That's my desire, is to be more like Jesus every day. Our pastor taught such a great lesson last Wednesday when he talked about knowing him. And if we're going to really have a relationship with him, we're going to have to know who he is. And if 
we will read his word, if we will get his word down in us, uh, we can be successful and be more like him. So we want to build on him as that chief cornerstone. Jesus said in Matthew's chapter 7, he said, he's talking about the wise man and the foolish man. He's talking about the wise man that builds his house upon the rock. And the storm comes, and the things of life come, but the house stands. And that's, that's the desire I have, is to be the wise man that builds on the rock, Christ Jesus. Amen? So talking about the Word of God, very foundational. The Bible is inspired Word of God. It reveals God to us and his redemption plan for mankind. And um, I don't have a new message that, that you may have uh, thought I would have something new that, that you've never heard before. It's still Jesus Christ, and it's still all about him. And... Uh, so we must know him, and, and the other part of that is we must make him known. And, um, and he will get glory if we will do exactly that. I found it interesting in this study that uh, I was doing, it's called the Great Bible Disconnect, the Bible Disconnect. Each year, the American Bible Society conducts a nationwide survey in the United States regarding people's opinions and usage of the Bible. And I'm not going to bore you with at the entire article, but I thought there were some interesting points here. First of all, there is no shortage of Bibles for one in six people reported buying a Bible in the previous year, and the average number of Bibles in American homes is 4.4 copies. found that interesting. 57% of the respondents reported reading the Bible only three times a year. Three times a year out of those that responded. 80% of Americans identify the Bible as sacred, and 56% believe it should have a larger role in the society fabric of the United States. In fact, 77, now I know the numbers are higher in this room, but we're talking about <laughs> across the United States. In fact, 77% believe morals and values are declining in the United States, and most cited cause of that decline was the absence of the reading the word of God. Remember, we kicked God out of our schools, right? And um, they're trying to take um, under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, trying to take God off our money, and we're, we're, we're much more like the days of Noah. Amen. 58% uh, report they don't personally want wisdom or advice from the Bible for their own lives. 58%, over half the respondents, they believe it's a sacred book, they believe it would help us live better, but they don't want it personally. That's a sad statistic, isn't it? And um, my hope is that uh, you desire the word of God more than your necessary food, right? And uh, have to have it. I, I know when I get up in the morning, it's one of the first things I do after my prayer time is spend some time reading the Word of God. And when I don't do that, you know, I'm on vacation, gone somewhere, doing some crazy thing like fishing. Um, it feels like I've missed out on something. And I find myself, before I can go to bed at night, I have to get that reading of the Word in 
uh, to make my day feel like it's complete. So this lesson focuses upon the divine origin, the authority of the Word of God. And I think we need to affirm our faith that the Bible is the Word of God. And it is infallible. It is without error. And uh, all its details are true. Although the word Bible is absent from the sacred writings, the most used term is designated the sacred writings as the writings. Uh, a lot of times in, in our culture, we hear it referred to as the good book. It's the good book. And uh, certainly it is a good book. I remember uh, in the mid-80s, I, I um, was living in the Bay Area, and um, I volunteered to be a work with the chaplain's office at San Quentin Prison. And um, so I would go to the prison on Friday nights and go through the screening process and get in through the east gate and get into the plaza. And when you get into the plaza, there's a few little churches there. There's a Protestant church that I went to. There's a Catholic church. There's a Jewish synagogue. They're all around this plaza. It's very well-manicured grounds right there, right inside the east gate, which is near the San Rafael Bridge side of the of the bay and uh, we would go into the Protestants chapel and there would be this long table with all kinds of literature on it and um, we would have either a briefcase or a small suitcase and we'd load up literature that we wanted to hand out and we would be taken to the cell blocks and then once we got inside the cell blocks they would assign us to one of the tiers inside the cell block and you would go cell to cell door to door visitation except you were locked on the, on the tier. <laughs> and they were locked in their cells, most of them. And, um, and so, you know, one of my first experiences, I'm walking down, uh, I think I was in East Block that night, and uh, I started talking to a long-haired gentleman, blonde hair, and uh, kind of scruffy looking, and got to talk to him about the Word of God. He says, well, do you have a Bible, man? Do you have a Bible? I said, you know, I've had some New Testaments in my, my suitcase here. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. And I found, you know, that really hungry for the word, or at least that's what I believed. I found out later they needed it to roll cigarettes. They needed, the papers are really good for that, apparently. Um, I learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> Not everybody uses the Bible to read. Amen. <clears throat> the good book. Probably the most reverent term is uh, referred to as the Word of God. The Word of God. This term refers to its author. It is not the thoughts of man, but it is the voice of God. It was written by more than 30 authors over a period of about 1,600 years, about 1,500 years before Christ and the first century church that we read in the Gospels and through the book of Acts about 1,600 years, and though it was written by many types of different people, everything from shepherds, you know, I kind of imagine as I was doing this study about David as the shepherd boy before he uh, had Sloan, slew, Sloan, Sloan, I'm not, slew Goliath, <laughs> he's out tending his dad's sheep, you know, he was the youngest son, and he had all the, you know, in my house when I was a kid, it was I had to mow the lawn and take out the trash. But for David, it was, it was ten dead sheep. And I kind of see him out on the sheep 
with the sheep on the hillsides, and he has a relationship with God. And God inspires him, and in his mind, he begins to create music. And the Bible says he invented instruments, and he wrote uh, many of the psalms that we read in the book of Psalms. And so I see him as a shepherd boy riding out on the uh, hillsides. I see him as the king after becoming the king of Israel, writing about God's provision and how God had saved him in battle and so forth. And many different writers throughout uh, the word of God. And the other thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is God always uses imperfect people. Imperfect people. There's none of us perfect. All of us have made mistakes, and we will make mistakes in the future because we're human beings. And uh, that doesn't mean God gives up on us. Uh, he still loves us. And, um, but he used imperfect people. So when we think about the, the different writings and the writers, we think about people that uh, made mistakes in life, but God still was able to use them. And uh, it is my hope that as imperfect as I am, that God can use me in whatever way he deems necessary. There are no contradictions in the word of God. Um, there's one theme. It's from Genesis through Revelation. It is the redemption of mankind. We see the fall of man. We, in your Bible reading program, you should be up somewhere around the story of Joseph right now. And uh, he just revealed to his brothers that, hey, I'm Joseph, the one that you sold to slavery. So when we read, we see how that the fall of man occurred in Genesis chapter 3. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this lesson tonight. Um, but we, we see that um, he always had his hand on the people he was using. He brought them through some very difficult circumstances. And um, it was interesting to me that uh, a good part of the first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses and um, an imperfect man. Uh, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. Probably was one of the few Hebrews that could read and write. And uh, after he'd already achieved adult adulthood, decided that he no longer wanted to be an Egyptian, but he more identified with the Hebrews. And, of course, we know that how he murdered a man and fled for his life and lived in the wilderness for 40 years until God called him at the burning bush. But God still used him. He led a nation from captivity uh, into the promised land or to the promised land. So the Bible is timeless and, and universal, a universal book. Although it is ancient in origin, it still is up to date as the latest website that you see on the Internet. And it still has uh, something for each of us each and every day. Though the Bible was written... In the setting of one race, all races of the earth have been blessed by the word of God and have recognized the voice of God through the pages of the Holy Word. Prophecies of, of the Bible, some uh, were foretelling events that would happen way into the future, including to our day today, uh, and some um, were in the near history that, that was about to happen. Um, 
there's a life-changing power that happens when we read in the scriptures. There's other books you can read. I remember uh, as I uh, was going through promotion uh, on my job and I made management, I had to go to a management class. And one of the classes required that I read The One-Minute Manager. Anybody ever had to read The One-Minute Manager? Or how about Who Moved My Cheese? And uh, The Spirit of the Squirrel. Those were all management books that we had to read to help us learn how to be effective leaders and uh, help people uh, do their jobs. Um, we found out that being a boss isn't telling people what to do. If you have a boss like that, pray for him. <laughs> so other books may teach us some things, uh, may even motivate us to be better individuals, but the Word of God transforms us from a carnal person to a spiritual person when we apply the Word to our lives. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1. Brother Dixon, are you on? being born again not of corruptible seed but of the incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as flower of grass the grass withereth the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Peter writing here. So it transforms us. The word stands, it's unmovable, it abides forever, it changes not. Even though our society changes, their morals change, dress codes change, you can now go anywhere in your pajamas. It's true. Um, and so, you know, things change, but the word of God does not change. God doesn't change. There was a time the Bible says that God winked at ignorance. That's no longer the case. He now demands that everyone take his name in baptism, repent of their sins, and he's promised to fill them with his Holy Spirit. In our postmodern world, there is a reluctance to embrace the absolute truth of the Word of God. They don't want to know that there's an absolute, that it's black and white on these pages, or some kind, sometimes red and white if you have that edition. We live in a world that there's so much gray area anymore. I'm reminded uh, re not long ago, uh, we had a convert come to the Napa Church. He had been attending a Catholic church in Vallejo. And uh, the priest told him one day, he said, uh, the Bible is full of a lot of good stories, and some of them are true. Some of them are true. Well, I realize that the Lord used parables at times to teach lessons, but I believe the word of God is truth. 
is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will endure forever. It's been burned by tyrants. It's been denounced by infidels. It's been criticized by liberal theologians. There's been organizations that have changed the words with on its pages. Subtle changes just to throw you off. You better know your word. You better know your word. So when we look at our opening verse, which was 2 Timothy 3.16, we said that all scripture is given by inspiration. The word inspiration is translated from the Greek here as God breathed. God breathed. So when men were inspired to write the word of God, the Holy Spirit breathed on them, and they began to write as they were inspired to write, even down to the exact word to use in every situation. And so we can trust the word of God. Although men wrote the Bible in words of human experience, it is nevertheless the thoughts and the words of God. The thoughts and the words of God. The Bible changes us and makes us new creatures. Second Corinthians 5.17. I know he's got that one. Maybe he does. Therefore, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You begin to look at life differently. I remember as a nine-year-old boy, I was uh, got baptized that night, and um, we're dri- riding home. I my, I was a, my assigned seat was behind Dad in the back seat. I think we had a '61 Buick Lesabre going up Tank Farm Hill in Richmond, and everything looked better to me after I was baptized. The world looked different to me when after I was baptized. I hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. I just being baptized. Be, Having my sins remitted and washed away made me feel so much different as a nine-year-old sinner. (laughs) As bad as I could have been at nine years old. And I was the good kid out of the three of us. Or so my dad tells me. (laughs) So all scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, we only need to note here the word all. If the scriptures are only partially inspired, who can determine what part is inspired and what part is not? So we have to recognize that all scripture is inspired, right? And then um, the Holy Ghost used the language and vocabulary, the individual styles of them that were writing. And uh, as I said, it used um, specific phraseology and words uh, that God wanted on the pages of the Holy Word. There are some many verses in Scripture in which it is stated that God spoke His words through the prophets. And there are several references here. We don't have time to turn to them all, but they're found in 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Mark and Luke and Acts. All these were that God spoke and they wrote. God spoke and they wrote. So it was not their words, but it was God's word. 
expressions such as the Lord said, the Lord spake, the word of the Lord came. These occur 3,808 times in the Old Testament alone. The word of God occurs 525 times. These phrases point to the fact that the prophets spoke and wrote the very words that God gave them. Many of the writers of scripture wrote by revelation. It was revealed to them something. And probably the greatest example is, is very mentioned is uh, Moses. It was revealed to him about the story of creation. He wasn't there to write down creation as it occurred. But when he was on the mount or when he was in the tabernacle over that 40-year period that God was using him as the leader of Israel, as they wandered through the uh, wilderness experience, God revealed these things to him as he wrote them down. In the first five books of the Bible, he wrote much of the book of Genesis was just about revelation and oral history that was given to him that he wrote about. And then uh, there was no need for divine revelation for like Matthew or Mark or John because when they wrote in the New Testament they were observers they wrote down what they saw they wrote down what they heard and um, and then we we look at uh, Luke one of the writers of the four gospels he wasn't there uh, in much of the uh, disciples learning from Jesus but Bible tells us that he went to reliable eyewitnesses who recalled the things that he then wrote down. And then later on, we find Luke traveling with the Apostle Paul, and then he's writing as an observer as things occur. When we read through the book of Acts, we're reading Luke as he watches things happen, and the Apostle Paul is, is uh, letting God demonstrate through him. And, uh, and so we have these writings uh, because either by revelation or by observation that these men wrote the word of God. Um, skipping ahead because we're running out of time already. The Spirit moved upon writers, aiding their memories and guiding them in the selection of what to include and what to leave out. There were some things left out. Look at John. 2125 John 2125 And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which if they should be written every one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written couldn't tell it all there was so much done there were so many healings done that they couldn't you know couldn't even remember people's names or you maybe even catch their names as they were running back to the temple to show the priests that they'd been healed of leprosy, and um, only one came back to thank, thank Jesus for healing him. Amen. So there's a term, the canon. We're not talking about a big gun here. We're talking about the word and um, that is recognized as the inspired scripture so by 400 years before Christ, the 39 books of the Old Testament were already recognized as the canon of the Old Testament by the rabbis. 400 years before Christ. 
And then it was almost 400 years after Christ, somewhere between two and 300, depending on which uh, study you're reading, um, that the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, were um, recognized as the canon of the New Testament. And uh, so we have there, the total is 66, right? The books. This is one book, the Bible, but it contains 66 books. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New. And uh, there is a good way to remember that and see me after church, I can tell you. So most of the books of the Bible were recognized as scripture at the time of the writing or shortly thereafter. Prophets knew they were writing scripture as they penned the words, and they were recognized as the inspired word of God. We see this an example in Jeremiah and his writings. Uh, he knew he was writing um, the Word of God. The reference here is in Jeremiah 30 and also in Jeremiah 36 uh, that he's writing as God spoke. And 70 years later, you know, here's Jeremiah. His whole ministry is about, hey, wake up, Israel. Bad times are coming. Things are happening. You need to straighten up. And they refused to hear him. In fact, they threw him in a prison. Um, it sounded pretty, pretty bad. Um, and he, Jeremiah's writings were recognized by Daniel 70 years later after Jeremiah wrote him. Daniel refers to Jeremiah's writings as he recognizes that, hey, the 70 years are completed that Jeremiah wrote about and the captivity is about to be over. And so that's just one example of how we see the prophetic uh, things that the prophets wrote about and how they were recognized as the word of God later. Also we find that John writes on the Isle of Patmos by divine revelation. We see the, it's called the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible. And uh, he talks several times in Revelations chapter 1. Uh, also in chapter 2 chapter 18 and chapter 14 and chapter 19 and chapter 21 he was commanded to write he was commanded to write what the revelation was and then he was commanded to write a warning to anyone who adds to or takes away from the word of God the word of God is so important that we take it for what it is and find that in Revelation 22:18. From the very beginning, we know that Satan has tried to stamp out the Word of God. We know through the uh, story of the Garden of Eden how he cast doubt in the mind of Eve and ultimately Adam um, that did God really mean what he said? <laughs> does God really mean what he says? I think he does. I think he does. Did they die? Yes, they died. Uh, God had told them that you will die if you eat this fruit. You can do, they had one, one rule. One rule. Don't eat of this tree. But just like a child or a cat, Brother Dias, don't do that, and invariably the child is going to do it. And so Eve partook of the fruit and gave to her husband Adam 
and ultimately they did die, and sin came into the world. But I'm thankful that that wasn't the end of the story because God already had a plan. Already had a plan. Because we jump over to the New Testament in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. It said, in the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis, was the logos, the idea, the concept of a redeemer. It was already there. And God provided himself a sacrifice, came in the flesh as the person of Jesus Christ and became a sacrifice for our sin because we could not redeem ourselves. Man, a, a, a lamb didn't do it in the Old Testament. A bull didn't do it in the Old Testament. It could only roll their sins ahead for another year. Um, but Jesus Christ, once and for all, he settled it and by giving his life on the cross for us. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us that he's coming back again. Of course, there's the rapture of the church, and, and that's what we're looking for. But there's the second coming of Christ. And the Bible says that when he comes back in Revelations 19, he will be called the Word of God. The Word of God. David's writings in Psalms 138 and 2. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thy word. God gave us his word through men, and this revelation is full and complete in Jesus Christ, who was God manifest in the flesh. Even Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said to search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What was he talking about? He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures, talking about reading through Isaiah, even Jesus, when he proclaimed his ministry, he picked up Isaiah and began to read and said, this day is it fulfilled in your ears. This is the beginning of it. And uh, he used the scriptures. And that's how he defeated Satan when the temptation of Christ. What did he do? He used the scripture to defeat, defeat Satan. And we have that same ability uh, through the word of God. Oftentimes when the Lord healed someone in his earthly ministry, he would um, send his word ahead, and the, the daughter would be healed before the man got home. Uh, other times he would touch someone, and he would tell them, as your faith is, so be it unto you. And um, so I'm saying, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith, Lord. I want to see it. I want to see him do great things among us, don't you? Yeah. Amen. I'm going to skip ahead to closing. You like that? Okay. <laughs> there is profit in the word of God. We, we read about 2 Timothy 3.16, about all scripture given in, of inspiration. Because it is, number one, the word of God is profitable for doctrine. For doctrine. It is not possible to be saved unless we believe and obey the teachings of the Bible. We must believe and obey. You must have faith. Salvation is more than a mere profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That faith must be lived out 
or it is not genuine faith. James says, you show me your works with your faith. You know, I'm going to show you mine with faith. We have to have faith with our works. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God in Matthew 4 and 4. So the word of God illuminates. It's our flashlight, if you will. In the book of Psalms, 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Number two, the word of God is profitable for reproof. God's word judges us for wrongdoing, sharply rebuking us of our sin. You ever been sitting under uh, in church and have a, a message come forth and you just feel like it was talking to you and you need to make some changes? Amen. That's what the word of God does. When the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached that first apostolic message from that balcony overlooking the streets, I just see throngs of people uh, out there, and he began to preach about them. They were pricked in their hearts, the Bible said, when they realized they had crucified the Messiah, right? And they said, what must we do? And that's our favorite scripture, right? When he says, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The name, singular, right? The name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that the promise is still given today. Amen. It is the word of God that probes our lives and pricks our hearts with conviction. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The intents of the heart. Number three, the word of God is profitable for correction. The word of God corrects our behavior from doing wrong to doing right. It provides the means by which we are cleansed from sin and given a nature of holiness through the word of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Once again in the writings of Psalms 119.11 Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And lastly, number four, the word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness right living, right decisions. Our lifestyle is to be patterned after the standards set in the Bible. We cannot rely upon our thinking, for a rational mind is not one of faith. You try to reason it out in your own mind, you need to accept it by faith. You need to walk in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by what we experience around us not by the things that are come crashing in on us, but we continue walking by faith because God is faithful. <clears throat> the Bible is always right regardless of our thoughts. It is always right. 1 Corinthians 1, 25-29. The word of God corrects our thinking and our behavior because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. 
and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And it goes on. The word of God is true. We can trust it. If you'll have a relationship with him, he will guide and lead you into every situation. He will provide for your every need. He will make up the difference when you're proficient or, or insufficient, I should say. And uh, he always fills in the gap. And uh, I could give you several testimonies tonight how the Lord has worked in my own life and provided for every need I've ever had because I just had to trust him and asked him, you know, when I would try to do things, Lord, if this is not your will, slam the door. Lord, if it's your will, give me the courage to step through it. I'm going to step through the door. I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk by faith, and I want the Lord to work in my life. Don't you? Amen. I want the pastor to come. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give Brother Johnson a hand. That was awesome. Amen. Hebrews 11, verse number 3. The Bible says that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are, which are seen are not made of the things which do appear. Through faith we understand that through his word. It was his word that formed everything that we enjoy our life, our livelihood, and uh, I love that, the, the understanding that the Word of God was God-breathed or inspired. Uh, does anybody remember uh, in Genesis when God breathed? God breathed on man, and man became a living soul. There's people that, that I would say that are not truly living until they've let the Word of God breathe on them. The prophet Ezekiel saw a valley of dry bones, and, and he told the prophet, prophesy to the bones. And then he said, prophesy to the wind, because it takes that wind coming in for people to live. There's something about getting the Word of God, and this is why I think it's so important. Some people say, well, why, well, why are we taking out time to talk about the Word of God? Because uh, we are living in the most biblically illiterate generation that's ever been, and that's not to rag on anybody. Uh, we're living in a generation that's microwave mentality, you know, drive-throughs and instant message and everything comes quick. And uh, if you ask somebody, when's the last time you even sat down and read a book? They, there's going to be a lot of gap between the years of when they read a book. And I don't think that in the church that ought to be the case. Amen. I said I don't think that ought to be the case in the church. I'm sure there's many that could, that could t testify to this, but I remember as a 13-year-old kid coming into church, and they gave me a Bible. And uh, Brother Johnson, had, I had half a mind to bring that Bible tonight, but I didn't. Uh, maybe I'll bring it another time. But it's missing the front cover, the back cover. There's pages ripped out of it. There's all sorts of stuff. And uh, no, it wasn't because I just threw it on my coffee stand and forgot about it. But I just ferociously started reading that thing. Now, I was 13 years old, and I thought Shakespeare wrote it. 
And I was looking for Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet and all these other different things, but I came to realize that it was just in Shakespearean English. Um, but I remember as a 13-year-old kid, there was a lot of paradigms that I had. You know, your world is framed by words. Not just God's word, but by words. I got baptized. My father said, you're stupid. There's a lot of words there that were framing the way I thought about life. I'm, I'm helping somebody right now because Bible 101 is going to help somebody here today. I hope that what he taught today gets into our spirit. Because there's a lot of other words that have framed the way that you live your life. The way you raise your family, the way you operate your finances, the way that you go through everything. There's, there's different words that have been spoken over your life. But I remember as a 13-year-old boy, open up that book. And then I go to church and it seemed like the pastor was always preaching out of what I just got done reading. But I remember reading that and God started undoing a lot of words that were spoken over my life. And I began to open up the book and God started framing new words, a new way of thinking, a new paradigm. Anybody testify, has that ever happened to you? Amen. Some people would say, well, I just, I just don't know how I, can, how I can increase in life or how I can go to the next level. I'll tell you, you need to get God's word in your life. Hallelujah. I'll say that again. You need to get God's word in your life. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Well, preacher, I have gone all my life thinking that life is just supposed to be this way. I've gone my whole life thinking that I was this way. Amen. I want to tell you, the Word of God says of itself, he read it tonight, the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it divides asunder. It can get down to the very joints and marrow of your bones, where your blood comes from. It can even get down between the thoughts and intents of your heart. Well, I, I don't have a lot of time left on earth. Let me help you out. If you can get into the Word of God, well, I, I feel like I'm starting and I'm late on this whole thing of getting a hold of the Word of God. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. My Bible tells me that it's quick. It's quick. For those that say, well, I need God to change things around. I want you to get in His Word this week. I want you to pick it up. I want you to read it. I'm telling you because it can do a quick work. What takes you and I years to do, it doesn't take the Word of God very long. It starts framing and forming and reshaping and remolding the way we see life, the way we see others, the way we see ourselves. It changes our mind. It changes our heart. It changes everything. Let's stand all across the building and lift up our hands and let's magnify Him here today. Come on, if you're thankful for His Word, if you're thankful that every time you come to church you hear something, from the Word of God, and it just changes. It may not seem like a whole lot in that moment, but if you look back over the years, every Word of God was sustaining you. Every Word of God was feeding you. Every Word of God was transforming and changing. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, lift up your voice and pray. I'm thankful for your Word. I'm thankful for your Word. Come on, somebody. There's somebody in this house that you need to let that preaching and that teaching that comes by this pulpit every week, you got to let it get in there and, and perform what it's called to do. His word will not return void. you got to let God's word change and transform and mold and shape. Tonight, I want to open up this altar. If we could come and just take a moment. Amen. Why don't you step out of your seats and pray? Because God's word does not come back void, it always fulfills what it accomplishes. It might have been something you read years ago out of this book. 
It might have been something that was taught tonight. It might have been something that was preached over this pulpit years and years and years ago. That word will still accomplish what it was sent forth to do. And I want you to come to this altar and grab a hold of every word of God. Every word of God is pure. It's a shield to those that put their trust in him. Somebody love him here today. God, we're so grateful for your words. We're thankful that you would speak to us. We're thankful, God, that you would write 66 books to preach a message of love to us. Put your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. God, let us cleanse our way by the word of God. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, O oh God. Pray that that word would do what it was accomplishing, what it was sent forth to do. Come on, let's pray for just a few moments. Somebody pray, God, put your word in my heart. Put your word in my heart.
Come on, somebody, let's pray for just a few moments. I think tonight's a good night to make a declaration of faith. God, I want your word in my life. They might have taken it out of schools, and they might want to take it out of courthouses. But Jesus, I want it in my home. I want it in my kid's life. I want it in my church. I want it in my family. I want your word to be the law. I want your word to speak over me, God.